Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. Great I am. That's who we serve. Amen? Well, it is good to see each and every one of you uh, here this morning. And I'll tell you, it's good to see uh, Don and Bonnie Hegland. Amen? And uh, if you don't know Don and Bonnie, you, you missed out. Uh, they were with us uh, many years ago. And you know, whatever, they decided to travel the world, right? And so, <laughs> retire and travel the world. It's good to see you guys here this morning. Good to see each and every one of you here this morning. Um, I pray, as even Brother Chad was praying, that you have had a wonderful week exercising faith in the Lord, despite all of the things that continue to rage on in this world. Hello? Anybody aware of some things taking place in this world? I'd say we need to be walking by faith and not by sight, amen? And so uh, that's what it's all about. That's what faith is all about. That's what the writer of Hebrews said. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And so I pray that that's been your case. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. As you can see, we're continuing our series on faith for today, and uh, I want to begin our time in God's Word by drawing our attention uh, to one verse. As you notice, we, we went verse 20, verse 21, and now today I want us to draw our attention to verse number 22. And if you'll look with me in verse number 22, the Word of God says this simply. It says that by faith, watch the first words, by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you, and as was just mentioned in prayer, we are so thankful for who you say we are. Not for what the world says, not for what our job says, not for what our neighbors say, but for who you say we are because of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we're living in a time, quite honestly, where we need you to do it again. We need you to show yourself strong in the lives of your people, those who are hurting, those who have been going through surgeries and recoveries. And Lord, we think of Brother Russell Dodd this morning. Lord, I pray that you have your hand of healing upon him. Lord, as he's been through his surgery, and Lord, now we ask that you would continue to heal his body and that you would give doctors the wisdom that they need. And for Brother David Klamer, Lord, I pray that you would just uh, be with him and strengthen him in the journey that you've placed him on. And Lord, that you'd give the caregivers wisdom there. Lord, I pray that you will show yourself strong as we open up your word this morning. And Lord, as I pray many times and as I learned as a young man, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Because you are my strength and my redeemer. So, Lord, I give you the praise in advance for what you will do. Lord, we pray that if there's somebody in this room, somebody watching online who has yet to enter into the greatest relationship of all, 
a relationship with you through your son, Lord, that through the preaching of your word in the wooing of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that they would get that settled today. Lord, we look forward to what you'll do because we know that your word does not go out void and that it accomplishes exactly what you desire. And so, Lord, we give you the praise and the thanks in advance for what you will do in the next few moments of time. And it's in the precious and powerful name of your son we pray. And for his sake, we say amen and amen. Well, again, it's good to have you. Look with me in verse 22 again. The Bible says, By faith, Joseph, when he died, he made mention of the departing of the children of Israel, and he gave commandment concerning his bones. Again, as we have seen over the last two weeks, the reality is the word of God is highlighting the faith of Joseph, not for all of the things that he went through during his life, but it literally is pointing and remembering Joseph's faith for something that took place at, watch it, at the end of his life. And I don't know about you, but I just think in some small measure that God, watch this, he's giving us a gentle reminder, I believe here, when you look at verse 20 and you look at verse 21 and you look at verse 22, I believe that God is giving us a gentle reminder that our end is just as important as our beginning. Hello? Our end is just as important as our beginning because we see time and time again that God's word is highlighting the faith of these ones who have gone before us, not for things that they did throughout their life, but if you look very succinctly, they're pinpointing things that took place at the end of their life. Listen, we're to walk by faith and not by sight, watch this, all the days of our life. I got four people who said amen. And yet every one of us know that that's true. We're to walk by faith and not by sight. And so I just want to say, listen, I had the occasion to work for Dr. Gary Gray many years ago in Springfield, Missouri. And, and Dr. Gray always talked about this, finishing well. You have a good start and, and you want to finish well, but let's have a good middle too, right? And I just say this morning, let's finish well. Battlefield, let's finish well. Because I got news for you, soon and very soon. Every one of us are going to see the king. And so we must finish well. Last week, Jacob's story, we saw an old man worshiping. That's what I told you at the beginning of the message. We saw an old man worshiping God because in faith he recognized. Remember, early on when he arrives in Egypt, he gives Pharaoh one answer. He says, my days have been few and my days have been evil. But when he gets to the end of his life, after, after being given by God another 17 years in the land of Egypt, he says, listen, he says, God fed me all the days of my life. Not only did God feed me all the days of the life, Jacob said, it was God, it was his angel who redeemed me from all evil. And so this is what he had. And so we saw last week that the fruit of Jacob's faith, watch this, the fruit of his faith was worship. But today, as we look at verse 22, look with me, we're going to see that the fruit, if you please, of Joseph's faith was hope. You see, because Joseph is looking to the future, he has a hope. And it detects this question that we see surrounding the future. And so I would just suggest that we need to ask ourselves the question, what does the future hold for us? Battlefield, what does the future hold for you individually and for us as a church corporately? We have, we listen, I'm not just talking about, hey, brother, I'm headed for heaven. What does the future hold for us here 
and now as we serve the Lord in the days ahead. As we witness, watch this, as we witness a world that continues to spiral out of control. If you haven't been awake lately, this world is spiraling out of control. But it shouldn't surprise us one bit. So what does it look like? Watch this. What does it look like for our children and our grandchildren? And yes, I know some of you are old enough out there to have great-grandchildren. Can I get a, can I get a testimony? Anybody here got great-great-grandchildren? Whoa. Who's, who's, who's saying amen? You got great-great? <laughs> this guy's over here living to the fourth and fifth generation. The scriptures make it clear. They make it abundantly clear that God's people have always gone through, have always gone through different seasons of life, just as Joseph did in his. Sometimes, by the way, sometimes those seasons we enjoy, and then there's some seasons and times in our lives when, to be honest, we just have to endure. And you may be sitting here this morning, you may be watching online, and you may be going through a season of life that you feel like all you can do is endure. I got news for you. God's still on his throne. You may be going through a season, and you say, hey, brother, I mean, we're enjoying it. We're on the mountaintop. I got news for you. Get ready. Life's like a roller coaster. You go up and down, up and down. If your life was like that, there's a problem. Maybe some of you in the medical profession can understand what I'm saying. If your lifeline looks like this, you have a problem. Joseph's life, as we know from Scripture, Joseph's life was filled with super low points and some significant highs as well. But if you recall, at the time of his death, at, at the time of uh, his death, the entire family, the family that God had chosen to bless, they're still living in Egypt. They're not in the promised land yet, right? They're all in Egypt. You remember this, that he had called and he had instructed his family during the famine. He had told his brothers, he said, listen, you go get my dad. And you go get all the family. You go get all the herds. And you bring them over here into Egypt. And we're going to set you up over here in the land of Goshen. And guess what? He not only told his family to come, but Pharaoh. Pharaoh loved his number one slave. So much. Let's not forget, Joseph was a slave. He loved his number one slave and chief operating officer so much that he, he sets some things in order to put all the best out for Jacob and the family. And so they're not in the land of promise. They're in the land of Egypt. And so then we fast forward and we get to the end of Joseph's life. And what I find in this one verse of Scripture is that the future was on Joseph's mind. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever get yourself caught up in thinking about what is going to happen in the future? Anybody? We're always worried about tomorrow. Listen, just worry about today. You know, it's like I always say, man, it shows my age a little bit. But I always say, you know, Frank Sinatra used to sing that song. Let's forget about tomorrow. Let's forget about tomorrow. Let's forget about tomorrow. For tomorrow never comes. Take no thought for the morrow. 
The Lord knows what's going to take place. But that's what we do. We get carried away in looking at the future. But Joseph, at the end of his life, look here. In verse 22, the future is on his mind. And this verse indicates that in real time, Joseph is exercising faith. And that by faith, watch this, he has hope for the future. What about you? Do you have hope for tomorrow? Or you say, well, I'm just enduring. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You know what? I know one thing, that Jesus will still be on his throne tomorrow. I know another thing, the sun is going to come up tomorrow. It may be covered with the little clouds here and there, but it's going to come up. And guess what? Tonight, although we're getting ready to turn into moles and we're going to fall back for an hour and then it's going to be dark when you go to work, it's going to be dark when you come home, isn't it the most miserable thing to get up and go and come in the dark? That's why we get so excited when spring comes. The only thing that we don't like about spring is on that Saturday night when we're supposed to spring forward and we're supposed to come worship the next morning. Everybody all of a sudden isn't excited about spring. The reality is futures on Joseph's mind. I want you to hold your spot there, but I want you to turn back with me to Genesis chapter 50. Because we find in Genesis chapter 50 is that Joseph's family, remember, his family has been a proverbial mess, right? His brothers sell him into slavery. The whole ordeal is gone. They've come to Egypt now, but this family has had turmoil in it. But now we find that the family is finally at peace. Let me ask a question. Who here would like to see some peace in your family? Oh, I better not raise your hand. <laughs> Everybody started raising their hand. Yeah. <laughs> We find that Joseph's family, who had been a mess, is finally at peace. Look with me in verse number 15. This is after Jacob, daddy, dies, right? And verse number 15 reveals how Joseph's brothers, they, they're the ones, remember, they're the ones who sold him into slavery years ago. They're afraid now that Joseph is actually going to repay them for all the evil that they have done. And so in verse 16, it's pretty cool. Look, they send a messenger and I don't know who wrote the message, if it was Reuben or, or one of the other brothers, but they send this messenger uh, to Joseph, and it's like, Dad said. That's the, that's the translation, Dad said. All right, so they're not even asking on their own behalf, but if you look at verse number 17, they send this request in order for, uh, for Joseph saying, you need to forgive your brothers for all that they did years ago. And if you look at the very last part of it, it says, and Joseph wept. When they spoke unto him. Why is Joseph weeping? Joseph is weeping because if you look back in Genesis 45, he had already forgiven his brothers. And what he realizes is that in this moment, his brothers had not gotten the message. Back in Genesis 45, and so he weeps there. But notice in verse number 19 of this, in Genesis 50, Joseph says unto them, Fear not. He says, For am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Hey, hello, remember, I'm the one who called you to come into Egypt so that I could feed you, so that I could protect you, so that I could provide for you. This was all a part of God's sovereign hello plan for our lives. And he goes on, look at verse 21. He says, now therefore fear ye not. I will nourish you, 
Not only am I going to nourish you, he says, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spake kindly to them. Finally, finally we find that this family is united and at peace through all the ups and downs God had finally provided and brought about a calm peace within the family. Remember, this is the family that God has chosen to bless all the families of the earth. Interestingly enough, although Joseph and his family, they're not Egyptians as we know, but they were loved. They were loved by the Egyptians. Now, what's crazy is they're loved so much by the Egyptians. Look back at verse number 3 of chapter 50. Because verse number 3 tells us that after, Jake, after Joseph's father, Jacob, dies, notice it says that the Egyptians, they actually mourned. That means that they wept. They wept aloud for 70 days. It says three score and ten, right? That's 70 days that these Egyptians weep. This is how much they love Joseph. This is how much they love his family. And truly the Lord was with Joseph through all that he had endured and all that he had enjoyed. You remember, you can read all through the story of Joseph. And time and time again we find, and the Lord was with him, and the Lord was with him, and the Lord was with him. And even in this moment, the Lord is with Joseph. And so now we see this calm taking place in the family. And as Genesis wraps up, look there. At the end, we see that God's chosen family is overwhelmingly blessed. But as we know, in 2023, life moves on. Things change. By the way, life moves on and things change, and it isn't always for the better. Anybody ever felt that? Everybody ever been down that road? Life changes, and sometimes it's not for the better. Therefore, the obvious question becomes, what did the future hold for the family of God? As we consider Joseph's hope, we have to ask ourselves, what did the future hold for the children of God? And I think, first of all, if you're a note taker, I pray that you are, we can see that it's a time of growth for the children of God. Look on the opposite page. If you flip over, in my Bible, it's one page to Exodus chapter 1. In Exodus chapter 1, Scripture tells us in verse number 6 and 7, watch, it says, And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. So Joseph, his brothers, and the entirety of that generation have gone on. They've passed on. But notice verse number 7, And the children of Israel, they were fruitful, and they increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. In other words, God was continuing to work in the family that he had chosen. He's continuing to do big things. They're continuing to multiply. It's a season of growth. Things are going great. And you got to remember, you look back on the story. When Joseph calls his dad and his brothers and the family to Egypt, there's probably 50 to 70 uh, uh, Israelites that come to Egypt. But let's fast forward. Watch this. 400 years before, as they come out of the Exodus, there's over 2 million. It was a time of growth. You say, man, that's hard, that's hard stuff. But we can, dis we can deduce to some measure that God's people flourished, even in Egypt. And it's been true, and it's been said that even in our lives, individually and corporately, in the life of the church, there have been seasons of growth, right? When we take advantage, when we, when we buy up every opportunity that we're given and I think about 
what Jesus, in John 9, in verse number 4, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that has sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Listen, there's coming a day when we'll not be able to work any longer. Listen, if we're going to tell somebody about Jesus, we need to be doing it now. We have no idea. The Bible says, boast not thyself for tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a, may, what a day may bring forth. The Bible says that our life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while, and then it vanishes away. Listen, whatever we're going to do for the Lord, we need to be doing now. And this is what we see. We must be about our Lord's business while we still have time. But make no mistake about it. It was a season of growth during these Years. It was also a season of trial. It was a time of trial. Look, this should not have been a surprise, though. I want you to hold your spot because I, I want you to see this flip back to Genesis chapter 15. And you can leave your finger there because I'm going to show you a few verses here in Genesis chapter 15. But in Genesis 15 and verse number 13, God, we find that God has already told Joseph's predecessor, a few generations, Abraham, right? He's already told Abraham years before what the future would include and that the future would include a time of trial. Look at verse 13. Abraham, Abram, God says, know of a surety. That's King James for you can bet your bottom dollar on it. Be sure. Understand, Abram. I'm, listen, I'm calling you and through you, those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. Hello, 2023. And guess what? Through you, all nations of the earth shall be blessed. But he also goes on in Genesis 15, 13, and he says, hey, you need to also be sure. Notice this. He says, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs and shall serve them. And they shall afflict them, how many? 400 years. Are you telling me God knew? <laughs> As if he didn't. Are you telling me God knew that the children of Israel would be in bondage for 400 years? Are you telling me that God had a time clock for them to be afflicted and in bondage for 400 years? That's what I'm telling you. That before it happened, our sovereign God already knew that it was going to happen. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? But that's exactly what took place. And I would just suggest you do that this is where Joseph's faith in what God had revealed. By the way, I guarantee you this news would have been passed on from one generation to the next. That is not news that Abraham would have been silent about. He would have shared it with Isaac and Isaac, no doubt, would have reminded Jacob about it. And Jacob, no doubt, would have reminded Joseph about these things. But the reality is this is where the faith of Joseph in what God had revealed would have been key for his life. Because think about this. Joseph is living in Egypt, and at the point of his life, the Egyptians love him and his family so much that they mourn for 70 days when his dad dies. So how do you reconcile in the mind these people who are loving you, these people who are weeping over your dad's passing, are one day going to hold your people for 400 years in bondage as slaves? How do you reconcile that? The only way we can reconcile it is by faith in what God has revealed. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
we believe what God has revealed and we trust what God has promised. This is what happened in Joseph's life. How could God's people who are loved and respected in Egypt all of a sudden become slaves? How could they become so afflicted in the same place where they were now so richly blessed? And how on earth could God allow that to go on for 400 years? Could I just say hello, American Christian? There was once upon a time when this country loved the Lord. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Listen, I'm not talking about replacement theory here. I'm just trying to draw some similarities. In this country, there was a time when people respected and loved and, and understood that there was power in the name of the Lord. And now the world that we live in, the culture that we live in is doing everything. It's spiraling out of control. It's doing everything in exact opposite. Does that sound familiar to what was going on in Egypt? You see, at one time there was a culture that loved Joseph and his family. What happened? Well, if you just flip right back to Exodus chapter 1, Scripture tells us in Exodus chapter 1, we get the explanation. Look at verse number 8. And the Bible says, Now there arose up a new king over Egypt. Remember, Joseph, his brothers, and that, first, that generation have passed on. And the Bible says, and there rose up a new king uh, uh, over Egypt. And notice it finishes there in verse 8 by saying, which knew not Joseph. It didn't know Joseph. It didn't respect Joseph. It didn't love Joseph. It says, which knew not Joseph. And he said to his people, notice this new king, what he says. Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. If you drop down, look at verse number 11 because of this. It says, therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And so we find that a new king rises up. He doesn't know Joseph, doesn't care about Joseph, doesn't love Joseph. But what he does see, he sees that God has been blessing the children of Israel. And they're growing and they're waxing strong and mighty and they're doing big things. And this king is afraid that one, one day there may be a war. And he's afraid that if there's a war against Egypt that the children of Israel might side with their enemies and so he says guess what we've got to bring the hammer down pay attention in the United States of America today the hammer is being brought down it may feel gentle right now but it is bringing down it is being brought down against God's people but even in the midst of this oppression God continues to be with the children of Israel and bless them look at verse number 12 of the same passage the Bible says, but the more they afflicted them, I love it, I love it, God has a sense of humor, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, even as they dealt with the daily trials of being oppressed and being afflicted, God kept blessing even during the times of trials. You may be going through a season of trial right now. Can I tell you, that's proof positive that God can still bless through your trials and that he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ever ask or think. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5 reminds us that our Lord will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is always with us. He is always for us. But with that being said, how could God's purpose and plan be realized in his, if his people were being oppressed in another land? Flip back to Genesis chapter 15. This is so important. This is why we have to do Bible study. This is why we've got to get in the Word of God. Look at chapter 15 again. 
And I already read to you how God had told Abram in verse number 13 that there was going to be this season when they had to go into this. They were going to be in another land and they were going to be oppressed and whatnot. But notice what verse number 14 says. Because in verse 14 we see not only that they've been through a time of growth and a time of, of, of trial, but now they're going to experience a time of deliverance. Notice verse 14 and the Bible says, And also that nation whom they shall serve, God says, I will judge. He says, Abram. He says, here it is, my friend. He says, the family, they're going to go through a season of oppression. That season's going to be 400 years long. And they're going to be oppressed. They're going to be afflicted. But remember he started out, last verse, be sure. He's still continuing. It's the same theme. So he's not, he's not uh, uh, become uh, uh, twisted in his thinking. God says, hey, be sure of these things are going to happen. But if you notice in verse number 14, he continues, he says, And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And then notice it says, And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. The reality is that the world around us is always changing. I don't know about you, but the older I get, I see our world is continuing to change. But by faith, we can rest. We can rest on the unchanging nature of our God. Amen? He's the same yesterday, today, not only tomorrow, but forever. Isn't that good news? Oh, we can, we can rest. We can rest in what he has revealed. We can trust and believe what he has revealed and what he has promised like Abraham and others who came and went before us by faith, you and I, we must keep looking, as Hebrews 11, uh, 10 says, we must keep looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In fact, if you look in Hebrews chapter uh, 11 and verse number 16, the writer goes on and kind of gives us this idea that our desire should be for a better country. I don't know about you, I love the United States of America. Well, a few of you loved, love America, but I got news for you. I'm looking for a better country, a better country. And the verse says in Hebrews 11, 16, when it talks about a better country, it's talking about a heavenly country. It's talking about a city whose builder and maker is God. Listen, isn't that what Jesus said? He said, I'm, I, I'm in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Oh, listen, I don't know about you, but I am, I am ready to see that city. <laughs> a city that God has prepared for them that love him. Do you love Jesus? I hope you do. Do you love him? Because God has prepared a city. He's prepared a city for you and I, for those, for all those who love him. And all those who are called according to his magnificent purpose. And the reality is our lives may be filled with wonderful moments as they should. That's what Jesus said. I've come to give you not only life, but I've come to give you an abundant life. It's the thief that comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Oh, listen, we ought to have wonderful moments in this life. But we need to make sure that we understand that God's ultimate plan for you and me as his children will not and cannot be fulfilled in this earth. I'm headed to a new country. I'm headed to a new city where all the tears are going to be wiped away. There are going to be no more pain. Can I get an amen? 
it's going to be no more sadness, only hellos. What a day that will be. Yes, we will experience times of growth and times of trial, but ultimately one day by God's amazing grace through his omnipotent power. Oh, listen, if you ever doubt the power of God, you're in trouble. Through his omnipotent power, we as believers will experience a beautiful time of deliverance. I don't know about you, but I'm ready. I hope you are too. This is what Joseph was expressing at the end of his life. Look back at Hebrews 11 and verse 22. This is exactly what he's expressing when the Bible tells us that by faith, Joseph, when he died, this is, obviously he wasn't dead, it's as he's dying is what this is talking about. He makes mention, notice, he makes mention of the departing of the children of Israel and he gave commandment concerning his bones. You know, it's been said that last words are important. Last words are important. Isn't that what Jesus, Jesus, his last words were important. He said, and after the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you shall receive power. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And you remember there in Acts chapter 1, all the guys after Jesus said that, that his last words, he's like, he's headed up into glory. What a sight that must have been. And I guess I would have been jaw dropped just like those men of Galilee. Looking up. Are you kidding me now? What? Did he have some kind of a rocket pack? How did he do that? How did he do that? Because he's Jesus. He is King of King and Lord of Lords. As we sang a little while ago, he is the great, the great I am. Last words are important. We see here in Hebrews 11, in verse number 22, Joseph's last words are full of hope. He not only had full of hope in life, but he had full of hope in death. And it's covered right there in the same verse. He has a hope for this life, and he has a hope for the life to come. Listen, and if you look at Genesis 50, I go back there. Because in Genesis chapter 50, we see his hope for life. In verse number 24, notice he says to his brethren, he says, I die. He says, guess what? I'm getting ready to die. Y'all better get, get ready. He says, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto a land which he swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. In this moment, Joseph is speaking as a prophet, and it didn't matter what the culture was like or what the culture would be like. Joseph is making a statement that God is going to ultimately one day fulfill his promise that he made to Abraham. Oh, so many, many years ago. The reality was that Joseph believed what God had proclaimed to Abraham, and he thus then proclaimed it, that they would not be in Egypt forever. And the reality is that Joseph's words, his actions that he's remembered for by faith, became a type of hope for all those that were there in Egypt. They would have remembered, they would have rehearsed, they would have repeated Joseph's words down through the ages. You say 400 years? Absolutely. They would have continued to repeat what Joseph had said. Number one, God will visit you. Number two, God will bring you out of this land. And number three, he's going to come, come down and deliver you. And that's exactly what happened. If, you're, if you've got your Bible to Exodus 1, you can look on the same page and find Exodus chapter 3. That's exactly what took place. Look here. God came down and visited his people. He revealed to himself to Moses. And then 
I know I asked for verse 8, guys, but I'm going to start in verse number 7. Look at verse 7 of Exodus chapter 3. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt. Can I tell you something? I've got in my Bible written out to the side just the simple two words. He knows. He knows what you're going through today, sir. Ma'am, he knows what you're facing today. Young person. God is well acquainted with what you're facing in school, whether it be high school, junior high, or college. He knows what you're facing in your own home, right? He's well acquainted. And verse number 7 says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. This has not taken God by surprise. You say, how do you know? I just read to you from Genesis chapter 15 that God had already forecasted this to Abram years ago. Look at verse 8. The Bible, the Lord says, I am come down... I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large. That means it isn't a small acre lot. He's bringing them up into a good and a large land. And it says unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And so when God's people finally come out of Egypt, we see that they had enjoyed times of growth. They had endured times of trial and they continued They continued, even as they came out of Egypt, they continued to look to God for ultimate deliverance. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, God spoke through prophets of a day that when he would come again and he would come down and he would deliver his people. And that, my friends, is exactly what happened when God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you flip over to verse number 14, the Bible tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John says that we beheld him as of the only begotten of the Father, and he was full of grace and truth. Flip over with me to Luke chapter 7. I want you to see a story here. What we find in Luke chapter 7 it's, uh, we have a funeral procession that comes into conflict with a procession of life right here in Luke chapter 7. If you'll draw your attention with me, we read about a time here when Jesus makes his way to a city called Nain, N-A-I-N. He makes his way to the city of Nain, and so you find that he and his disciples, and there's a whole crowd that are following Jesus at that time, And as he comes to the gate of this city, here comes a funeral procession that is coming his way. And uh, Jesus notices that there's a widow woman. She is weeping the loss of her son. Her son has died and the Bible reveals that Jesus has compassion on her. And if you look at Luke chapter 7 and verse number 14, the Bible says that Jesus came and he touches the coffin of her son. He touches the coffin, and then he says, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. And immediately, if you read on, the boy who's been dead, he sits up and he begins to speak. Would that arrest your attention this morning? I often think that Jesus needs to come and touch some of us to get us to sit up and speak. We would do well to sit up and speak and say, Yes, Jesus, I'm alive. I have breath going in and out of my body. 
So he begins to speak. Look down at verse 16. Because scripture tells us in verse number 16, and there came a fear on all. There's a holy reverence, an awe that takes place in this moment. And the Bible says, and they glorified God saying that a great prophet is risen among us and that God has what? Visited his people. This is what the children of Israel were looking for in the Old Testament. And it came true exactly as they had hoped in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And let me just say this to you. That is how the exodus came now. And that's how the ultimate exodus is going to come for us then. Oh, what a Savior we serve. We as believers, we are awaiting our final deliverance. I'm glad that Linda and I are excited about it. Some of y'all are going to be wide-eyed when you get to glory. You'll be like... Down through the corridors of time, I put this in my notes. Down through the corridors of time, the church has endured seasons of growth. The church has endured times and seasons of trial. But I'm reminded in Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18 that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen, I don't build anything. You don't build anything. The Lord builds his church. And as a, as a fellow pastor says, he, he says all the time, it's the Lord's church. He builds it and he's doing a pretty good job of it. I'd say he's doing an amazing job of it. We can trust that he's going to accomplish exactly what he desires. He's still, he's still accomplishing his plan. You say, how do you know that? Because we're sitting here today. One day our Lord will return for his church. Isn't that what Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16 and 17, the Bible says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Our ultimate exodus from the bondage of this world, this flesh, and the devil is coming. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited about it. I'm going to see Jesus, and I don't deserve it, but I sure am thankful for it. May God help us never to get over it. We ought to be excited that we get to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh, this is what our great God, our great I am will do. And because you and I believe what God has revealed and you and I trust what he has promised, you and I, like Joseph, can have hope in this life. Not only today, but I can wake up tomorrow and have hope all over. You want to know why? Because Lamentations tells us that God's mercies are new every day. God is such a merciful God. By the way, if you don't understand what that means, that means he withholds what we really deserve. He, restrain, he restrains himself in mercy. That's why you find it all throughout the Old Testament, these these people were praying for God's mercy over and over. God, show us mercy, show us mercy, show us mercy. 
Man, I pray that God continues to show this country mercy because the culture is not very God-friendly right now. But notice Joseph not only had faith in this life, he had faith in death. i got to wrap this up. At the end of verse 22, look, he says, he gave commandment concerning his bones. But why is this important? Why is this important to Joseph? Why would it make any difference where he was buried? Because here's what I know. If you look at Hebrews, it's abundantly clear that these Old Testament patriarchs, they actually believed in the resurrection. As I shared a moment ago from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 10, they were looking for a city whose maker and builder was God. They were looking for a better country, a heavenly country, if you please. And so why would it matter? Why does this matter and why does God refer to Joseph's act here in this moment as something being by faith? Why is that important for us? We read it and I'm being really transparent and honest. How many people have you ever read that verse and you're like, what's the big deal? So he tells them about the children of Israel and then he says, hey... I'm going to give you some instructions concerning my bones. Why is that such a big deal? I mean, think about it. It had to be pretty important. And I know that they believed in the resurrection because if you look a few verses earlier, it was Abraham when he took his son Isaac. You remember he's about to offer Isaac. And in verse number 19 of Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible tells us that Isaac actually believed. Watch there. It says that God, he believed, he accounted God, was able to raise his son up even, even from the dead. And so they understood. So my question and my mind works, cannot God raise up a body from Egypt just as he could in the land of Canaan? Absolutely he can. There's got to be something bigger, something deeper that's going on here. Because the reality is Joseph was made to swear by his own father. Back in Genesis chapter 50 and verse number 25, Scripture shares with us how Joseph, uh, 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 Joseph, he, like his father who had passed on before him, he makes these guys promise that they will carry his bones out of Egypt. And so it mattered to Jacob. And we see in Scripture it mattered to Joseph. And what is remembered here in this moment is referred to as an act of faith on the part of Joseph. What's interesting to me, and if you can't see it, time and time again, we're given these stories, the, the importance from God's Word. We're given, they're painted as portraits for us, really. We see pictures of what God is doing and the reality is God had chosen a land that he would bless. And it's literally symbolically pointing to, forward to a, a place that you and I, a land that you and I as believers would one day uh, be blessed with. Uh, uh, remember, the city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God, a, a, a country, a heavenly country. It's pointing forward. And so Joseph, by faith, he's believing in this promised land. He's believing the picture, the, the myriad of what God is going to do. So in verse number 22, the Bible says he gives commandment concerning his bones. In other words, he's essentially saying to his brothers and everyone who's gathered around. By the way, he's not just talking to his brothers. He's talking to all those who are gathered around. He said, listen. He said, I'm getting ready to die. And when I die, I'm going to enter into all that God has promised. And as a sign of my faith and my hope and what God has promised, you jokers better take my bones when you get out of here and take them over to the promised land. 
during those long years of oppression. God's people would have looked at Joseph's coffin, at his coffin, as a sign of hope. That one day they would be, they would be delivered out of Egypt. I, I don't know about you, and, and I, I was thinking about this the other day. Before my wife and I got married, I believe it was her father who gave this to her. And maybe some of you ladies had them when you got married. I, I, I don't hear it as being a common thing anymore. But years ago, you remember, you were given the hope chest. And we put things in there. Remember Teddy? We put a teddy bear in there. That teddy bear became Colby's. Sorry, Casey. <laughs> there was only one teddy bear at the time. I think we could only afford one teddy bear. <laughs> we put the teddy bear. There were quilts and other things in there. It was a, watch this, guys. So important. It was a sign of hope for the future. And when I married my sweetheart, or when thankfully she married me, we had the hope chest. Every once in a while I'd look in there and I'd see that teddy bear. I think, well, maybe God will do that. Maybe he won't, but we have this hope chest. When I look at the story of Joseph, the reality is that Joseph's coffin in a way, became the very first hope chest. People would look at it. They would say, the faith of this man. He had such faith that one day we're going to be delivered from this bondage. One day we're going to be removed out of this place of affliction. And one day, because of his faith, he has a hope that that's not only going to happen, but his hope extends to beyond the grave. And he said, listen, you need to take my bones and you need to take them to the promised land, which is a picture of the promised land that each and every one of us will one day by faith be joined together with our Lord and Savior throughout eternity. What a day that's going to be. Yeah. Folks, our hope, our hope is not found in a coffin filled with bones. Our hope is found in an empty tomb. That's what the angel said in Matthew 28 in verse number 6. And the angel said, he is not here. He is risen just as he said. Jesus said it. That settles it. He's going on to glory. You might as well quit looking for him here because he's not here. I don't know about you. That gets me excited. And Jesus makes it clear in John 14, 19, because he lives, we shall also live. And then in Peter, 1 Peter 1 and 3 and 4, I was teaching on it Wednesday night. We're reminded that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I who are in Jesus, we have not only a living faith, but we are kept. We're we have a living faith to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fades away. And the Bible says that it's reserved for you and me. And then if you go on to verse number 5, it says you and I are kept by the power of God. That omnipotent power of God who fulfills his promises, who keeps his words. Oh, one day we're going there. Oh, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I want you to flip over one page. If you're still at Luke 7, I want you to flip over to Luke chapter 8. And I read this story and we'll wrap up, Michaela. Just hold on to your horses. In Luke chapter 8, what an incredible story. 
Look with me in verse number 22. The Bible says, Now it came to pass on a certain day that he, speaking of Jesus, he went into a ship with his disciples and said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. Talking about the Sea of Galilee here. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. But did he? He fell asleep. That's what the Bible says. It says he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake. And they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. In verse number four, 24, and they came unto him and they woke him and they said, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose. And the Bible says he rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased and there was calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water. Watch this. And they obeyed him. A sad commentary, just a sidebar, is that the winds and the waves, they don't stutter in their obedience. It's immediate. When Jesus says it, it happens. You look back here, and what I find in this short passage of Scripture is that these men, watch this, they, they lack faith, watch this, because they lack hope in getting to the other side. They lack faith because they lack hope that they're actually going to get to the other side. In fact, if you read in Mark's gospel, in Mark's gospel, Mark 4:38, it actually shares how they come to Jesus and they, they literally accuse Jesus of not caring. They say, don't you care that we're about to die? They lacked hope because they had no faith. They lacked faith because they had no hope. The bottom line is that they had no faith of this successful journey and Jesus to them, it seems like he doesn't care. I just put out to the side of my notes. Isn't that how we act sometimes? We're in their midst of trials. We pretend we make ourselves believe that Jesus doesn't care. I got news for you. Nobody ever cared for you like Jesus cared for you. That's why we can cast our care on him because he's the one who cares for us. The world doesn't care for you. Jesus cares for you. Right? But they believe in this moment. They're like, don't you care? We're about to die. But look at verse 24. He rebukes the wind and the raging of the waters. And scripture states that as soon as he does it, there's a calm. Can I tell you that he can do that in your life as well? No matter what you're facing this morning. He can create a calm just like that. Oh, we have to have faith. Verse 25, he asked them, where's your faith? You see, the storm was raging. These men needed hope, but they have no hope because they have no faith. You see, having hope requires that you and I have faith. We can't have hope without faith, but if we have faith, I guarantee you, you're going to have some hope. Storms come and storms go. Culture is constantly changing. And if we're not careful, we can feel hopeless about it all. When we look at the signs of the times, we can get hopeless. But the faith of Joseph reminds us that faith, 
hopes in God. And because of Jesus, we can have hope in this life and we can have hope in death. Father, we love you. God, we come to you with grateful hearts for what you have done and what you do on a daily basis. Lord, we're reminded that sometimes all we want is hope. But sometimes I feel like we struggle to exercise the faith we need to appropriate that hope. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be reminded today that whether it be a season of growth, a season of trial, or a time of deliverance from something that we're going through, that we, like Joseph, would exercise faith. Faith for here and now, and faith for then and there with you in an eternity forever and ever. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, that through the teaching of your word and the wooing of your spirit, you've drawn them unto yourself. Lord, I pray that in this moment that they would do business with you. Your word tells us, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so, Lord, I put that plea out right now. If you're here, if you're watching, you're in this room, and you don't know Christ as your Savior, oh, my friend, you'll not experience hope until you exercise faith. And, it's, and, and the Lord has made it clear. It's, he's made it simple. It's not like we have to do anything because it's already been done for us. Jesus said it is finished. There's nothing that you and I can do to merit it. It is for by grace that we are saved through faith. That it's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. So if you're here, you say, Pastor, I've never trusted Christ. But would you pray for me right now? that I would have faith, that I would have faith like never before to call upon the name of the Lord. Would you pray for me, Pastor? Would you just look at me? Say, Pastor, pray for me that I would exercise some faith in this moment to call upon, I see you, bro, God bless you. Somebody else, say, pray for me, pray for me that I would have faith to call upon the name of the Lord and trust him as my savior. Somebody else, God bless you, yes, ma'am. Somebody else. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I'm struggling with this thing called hope. Would you pray for me that my faith would be bolstered, that I might walk by faith and not by sight? Would you just look at me? Get, get my attention. God bless you. God bless you. Everyone around, God bless you. I see. Listen, the Lord sees your heart. He sees your need right now. I see you, bro. God bless you. You and I, we're praying. We're praying right now, right? We're going to pray for this thing. God's got it. Somebody else. Say, pray for me. I'm I see you back there. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. This word, God bless you, young ladies. I see y'all. Oh, God, you see our hearts. You see our, uh, the desires of our heart. And so, Lord, I pray that we will exercise faith for today. And because we exercise faith, Lord, I know that you will give us the hope that we need not only to enjoy seasons of growth, but to endure seasons and times of trial, knowing that our ultimate deliverance comes from you. Lord, I pray that you'll have your will and your way during this time of invitation and that your people will come and your people will do business with you in this moment. And Lord, we'll give you the praise for what you'll do 
For it's in Jesus' precious and powerful name that we pray. Amen and amen.